and you go through the advanced options, you can set that as a allow all to record, or you can set me as an mm. automatic co-host. Then I'll have that feature uh, enabled when you won't have to do it every single time. Yeah. I don't know if I, I want you to automatically be a co-host though. Like sometimes maybe I don't <laughs> like sometimes maybe I just want to do this by myself. Like sometimes I'm not even in the audience. What's happening? <laughs> Hosting by myself. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, Are you though? Myself. No, I'm really not. All right. Hello, alleged human being, and welcome to the Chaos Lever Podcast. My name is Ned, and this is my heartbeat song, and I'm gonna play it. Beep, bop, boop, bop, beep. With me is Chris, who is also here. Hi, Chris. Hi. <laughs> Let's talk about some tech garbage. Only the finest garbage. I was going to say, listeners. we're getting fancy this, this month. I am putting on the airs, as they say. That's a hat. Airs is a hat? No, what you're wearing is a hat. Airs is something else completely. Well, I was going to put a hat on a hat, but I hear well, that's enough of really, that. Is, well, what are you going to do next week? Put a cat on a hat on a hat? Mm, I don't know about that. <sighs> it kind of fell flat. <laughs> Shall we move on? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. <laughs> we should both see ourselves out. <laughs> oh, oh, listener, thank you again for tuning in. We really do appreciate you and all the money that you pay to listen to these episodes, which is zero. So, <laughs> I guess you get what you pay for. Still feels like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you pay with your time, and we appreciate your time. So let's uh, let's talk about a tech thing. And last week, I felt very ranty about things and you didn't get a chance to talk much. So maybe today you could talk about a thing that you, I, that you researched. I can talk about a thing. Let's talk about a thing. A thing called GitHub Copilot. Do, do, do. I didn't know that GitHub had gotten into the aviation industry. So this is interesting. Yeah, at the very least with their icons. It's a little guy with a little hat with little goggles. It's cute. Oh, that is cute. As we know, okay. all modern aviators wear, wear goggles. So that's is... just what you do. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So this is a new feature that came out. It's still in technical preview. So it came out might be a strong word, but it came out in the June of last year. And it's AI assisted programming. Well, I mean, some people, the marketing material calls it that. <laughs> Other people call it uh, autocomplete on steroids. Hmm. Some people who are desperate to get that marketing degree are calling it coding as a service. And okay. those of us that fear the future are calling it one small step for poorly understood and barely functional code, one giant leap for Skynet kind. Okay. So, in short, GitHub Copilot is an add-on for VS Code. At the moment, that's the only way you can use it. Mm -hmm. And it watches you as you type, analyzes what you're coding, and auto-completes whatever you're trying to write using AI. Wait, aviation industry. There it is. We did <laughs> and it, everybody. And brought it full circle <laughs> and crashed into the tower. Okay, excellent. So I do have to have VS Code if I want to get into this. Yes, and you also have to apply for the program. Although I did the apply and I got into it within like 24 hours. Mm. I didn't have to do anything other than have a GitHub account, like a real one with Microsoft, 
Right. Go to the page, apply for it, and then wait. Then you get a code. You can download the um, extension for VS mm-hmm. Code, and they will double check. So you will have to be logged into VS Code for this to work. Gotcha. Okay. And but once it does, it just works. And they put a little tiny icon, like I was talking about, the little guy with the little goggles, mm-hmm. and you can see when it's on, and it just works for pretty much every type of code you want to do. They have like 10 that are officially supported, but it will take a shot at anything you're trying to do, including just flat text. Wow. Okay. So it'll try to auto-complete your comments, for example. Or if you wanted to do a .txt, it would auto-complete if you were trying to write a story. Ooh, that could be fun. Oh, my God. tab completed up. (laughs) Um, And also, if you look at the, the graphic on the website, it's very cartoony and icon looking. But when you look at it in VS Code, it's one color and it's way tiny and it looks like a frog. There, I said it. It's because it's got kind of the big bulging eyes, right? Mm-hmm. So and it looks like a frog ready to strike. Because <laughs> as you know, all frogs have violence in their hearts and it's only a matter of time. I mean, that does line up with my experience uh, when it comes to most amphibians, but especially frogs. Right. They can be on the ground. And in the water, it's not natural. Mm, something strange is going on there. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, I haven't, I'm not an expert at Copilot, but I've been using it for about two weeks. So actually, I take it back. I am an expert. Yeah, as much as anybody else is. So uh, <laughs> let's walk through how it went for a little bit. How about that? Sure, let's do it. So one thing that they are trying to be a little mysterious about is exactly how it does what it does. I mean, it's based on GPT-3, the OpenAI project. There's no two ways about it. Um, They want to know about your whole project. So when you log in, you show up, you open a project, and it will look at all of your personal files in that project, including your comments. And now we'll get back to that in a second. But it takes what it can to determine what it thinks you're trying to do. Once it does that, it also has the ability to look at every other piece of code that is freely available on GitHub. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of public code on GitHub. Uh, Yeah, I have noticed that a little bit. Some of it is my fault. So you're (laughs) welcome, everybody. I mean, some of this is old, austere, open source code that's been around forever. Some is completely brand new projects that are just being made public, you know, today. Um, But if it's public, GitHub Copilot can scan it. So this led us to the first problem with programmers voicing concerns about GitHub taking advantage of freely available open source products and monetizing them. Because while they haven't actually said so much out loud, I'm going to go ahead and guess that once this becomes a full-time project, it's not going to be free. Yeah, it might be free for individuals someone with a personal GitHub account, but then if you want some additional bells and whistles or you uh, want to, or you have like an enterprise or corporate GitHub account, then it might be a paid service and they add some additional functionality that doesn't exist for the personal version. Right. And there are other legitimate concerns about privacy. Although if you're making your code public on GitHub, that's one thing. However, if you read their terms of service, they basically say anything you type or have in your project, GitHub Copilot will take and analyze. 
Mm, that does raise, you know, obviously some privacy concerns. Is there and a else, way to exempt certain repositories from Copilot? Yeah. Disable Copilot before you open them. Okay. All right. That makes sense. That's basically it. If you open something and Copilot is enabled, it's going to read the entire thing. Now they claim they make claims and say that it's tokenized and anonymized and they will never take your specific code and directly give it to somebody else. But the concern, I think rightly, is still there. And it's really going to be an open question for people that are in industries that are tightly regulated. If you do this, if you work as a programmer for the DOD, are you going to be allowed to have your code just automatically uploaded to Microsoft? I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, I could see how that might be. And interestingly, if you're logged into Git, I imagine if you're logged into GitHub and, Git and Copilot, and you're just working on code locally that isn't even checked into a public repository, but you have Copilot running, that could then mean that it is parsing that code and sending it up regardless. It's not could, it's 100% what's happening. Right, okay, so I think that changes my understanding of how Copilot works a little bit because I had assumed that Copilot is going to look for something that already has like a repository in GitHub that you're working on and only analyze what you're doing or upload what you're doing if it has to do with that repository. But this is very different. This is, yeah, nope. and Like I said, this is kind of, Copilot is trying to read ahead. It wants to understand everything that you're trying to get to so that when it returns code as a suggestion, it makes sense for you and what you are trying to do. So it's not just copy and pasting answers from Stack Overflow. <laughs> it's not, no, I mean, that's still an option. That's well, still yeah, I mean, that's what I thought, you know, when I apply to be a senior software developer, like that's just, but I, I put on there, Stack Overflow, 10 years. Yeah. But anyway, enough of the boring stuff. I actually did run a couple of test cases to see what it could do. Okay. And I tried to think of ways to like go at it from a level of programming that could be easily understood as the simplest, most straightforward example, and then work up from levels of complexity from there. Okay. So what I decided on is bash scripting, which is bash shell is one of their supported languages. Mm -hmm. um, and the exercise is determining an employee's pay for a week's worth of work. So what I decided to do was just start from the top and work my way down as though as if I were terrible at programming. Complete hypothetical. Yeah, I mean, we, we all know the truth, which is you're you're basically a senior developer in JavaScript. But I appreciate that you took on the role of the uh, junior programmer, or maybe even more junior than junior. Junior-er. Yes. So one of the reasons I did this is it doesn't have any complicated logic functions. It doesn't have any loops, doesn't have any functions. It's just you start at line one, you go down to line 10, the program is over. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to see what does Copilot do to help me with that top to bottom. Okay. So I started out with the script. Uh, I put in a simple comment and just started writing out the code. And the code starts with a read command because you need to take in information. You need information about the amount of hours and you need to know how much person gets paid per hour, right? Very simple calculation. As Very simple. Cannot get more simple than this. Okay. And I pushed it through and it helped me out with almost every single line. 
if you're looking at the example on the screen, um, the thing that I had to type the most was line five, which is read dash P, enter hours worked, and then hours assigning the variable. Line six, read the hours rate, it punched in almost all of it by itself, copilot did. Wow, okay. Line eight, it did by itself. So that's the calculation of the pay. Correct. So you, did you even have to start out line eight by typing in pay or was it just like, boom, gotcha? Boom, gotcha. Wow. Okay. Um, and that's the, that is another thing that, that is important to take note. You have to sit and wait because if you're actively typing, Copilot doesn't do anything but listen. Oh. You, let the, you let the cursor sit for a few seconds and then Copilot says, oh, oh, my turn. Boom. But it doesn't happen instantaneously. It, it happens after a little delay. That's very different than IntelliSense or similar products that sort of give you a tab completion preview and then hitting tab will then complete the line for you as it's being shown. This is like, all right, you know, more like pair programming where one programmer sees that the other one has paused for a moment and kind of jumps in. That's a really good example. Yeah, that's a lot more like what it is. Okay. And sometimes Copilot won't have anything. So the 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 cursor will just sit there and nothing will happen. Copilot's like, I don't know, man, you go. <laughs> and you're like, I um, don't know either, Stack Overflow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we banged out together, we banged out this 10 line script and for what it is, it works. But, and this is a significant but, there is something very wrong with this script. As someone who, uh is not super fluent in bash scripting. Can you tell me what's wrong with it? So remember how I said this is the simplest possible script that you can write? Yes. Which it is. It uses all bash built-ins. Okay. Including the mathematics. Mm -hmm. Bash built-in mathematics can only handle integers. Ah, that would be a problem so, if you have, well, you know, decimals. Right. So if somebody worked 40 hours and gets paid 10 bucks an hour, no problem. If somebody worked 40 hours and gets paid 11.50 an hour, now we have a problem. Okay. Because in Bash, you do not declare anyway. You can, but you don't have to. It's either a, a string or an int. Mm -hmm. And the built-in math can only handle ints. So you have to use an external program to get that math to work right. Gotcha. Okay. Now this is one of the reasons that I used this example, because this is a very common trap that first time shell scripters fall into. Programs like bash or shell scripting languages like that are intended to be very wide open and very simple. And if you put this into a tester, like the one that I love to use is shellcheck.net, it will give you two thumbs up because this is 100% syntactically correct. And it'll run, like I said, in certain use cases, it'll be perfect. 40 hours, $25 an hour, no problem. Right. But for like, let's say this was a sub-function of a sub-function in a production code and it doesn't get run all that often, it's gonna end up being a problem. Right. And this leads to what's actually difficult about programming. It's not necessarily writing stuff that's syntactically valid. It's understanding the context and the desired functionality of the code and then having a suite of test cases to run it against 
to verify that you're doing all the proper sanitation of input and that the input values are correct and that the output value is the right type. So it's it doesn't sound like it's gonna do any of that for you. No, and it will do, it will make some attempts to understand. And as we'll, we'll talk about is the more you put into it that it can read off of, the more assumptions it can make. Interesting. But to your point, yeah, it's still just trying to create valid syntactically correct code and that's it. And what makes me concerned there is if a programmer doesn't know the language all that well, is rushing through a project, maybe all of the above, they get to this point and they just move on to the next code block. Mm -hmm. you know, maybe I'm paranoid, but this is the kind of result that makes me paranoid. <laughs> well, in fairness to Copilot, I didn't know that about bash scripting. And I would have, if you'd asked me to write a similar script, I would have written exactly what Copilot wrote. But hopefully I would have tested it a few times and then realized that something really weird was going on. Right. And that, I mean, that's something that I wanted to talk about at the end, but I'm really curious to see if like testing hypotheticals is something that's on the roadmap for Copilot, because that would be awesome. That sounds like a paid feature. <laughs> <laughs> so, and also to be clear, GitHub themselves notes that there are serious limitations that developers need to keep in mind, including this one. From their FAQ, quote, GitHub Copilot tries to understand your intent and to generate the best code it can, but the code it suggests may not always work or even make sense. So it's Java. While <laughs> we are working hard to make GitHub Copilot better, code suggested by GitHub Copilot should be carefully tested, reviewed, and vetted like any other code. Oh, that's cute that they think people do that with other code. <laughs> well, they said like, yeah. <laughs> it's a nice hypothetical world we're building together. Yes, it is. So I did this entire operation a second time, created a new file and everything in the same pro program uh, folder though. So it's all these things built on each other, but I did it a second time and it actually did it right this time, including the math using an external program that can handle decimals. And what is particularly interesting is that's literally a one line difference between a code that is correct and a code that ends in disaster. And the way that I approached it was exactly the same. The only thing that was different is the comment that I wrote before I let Copilot write the mathematical line. And what was that comment? How was it different? The keyword or the comment line that I wrote the first time just said, get weekly pay. Okay. And the second time through, I wrote, get weekly pay using BC. Okay. BC is called the basic calculator. That's the program you use to do floating point mathematics in bash shell scripting. Gotcha. That's it though. Everything else I did exactly the same. Okay. So just so, that additional portion of the comment gave Copilot the context it needed to come up with the correct solution. Correct. And it used BC, I assume. Yes, and okay. it did it right. Which is wild because all I did was change the comment. So it's obviously trying to read your entire project file. So I'm assuming that the bigger your project is, the more accurate and the more helpful Copilot is going to be. That also says to me, 
And one thing that we were always told to do in beginner programming class was to write out the comments for your function mm -hmm. before you actually tried to write the function because that would help you be better at writing the function. And you had to, I forget the exact terminology they used, but basically you wanted to define your inputs, define your outputs and what the function should be doing in your comments and then write it. If you did that, and we're pretty specific within your comments. It sounds like Copilot would have a decent shot at producing the function you're looking for. I would agree. And in order to test that, I actually did this one more time, adding a whole bunch more uh, functionality to this script. So adding things like error checking, command line arguments, loops, and a whole lot of comments exactly to the point that you just made. 95% of what it put down worked. It was pretty impressive. Um, and one of the things that's difficult about writing loops and logic and gates and command line arguments is that it's a pain in the butt to get the syntax right. <laughs> it can be, yeah. <laughs> you know, and especially if you're multi-fluent, you might accidentally start writing the syntax in a different language and then be like, well, this looks correct. What the heck's going on? Yep. Uh, one of the things that Copilot was able to do, there's something um, opt, options from the command line. There's a built-in that you can utilize, but it's a weird structure. And I won't bother explaining it, although I do have a blog post that I will link to that shows the graphic example. But Copilot was smart enough to use a dash T to indicate hours. The reason being that the dash H was already taken for help. Okay. So that was clever. I mean, there's situational awareness about the function that you're writing. Yeah. Huh. So I think that's another thing is the script has to be, or I'm sorry, the project has to be of a certain size, but you also have to have a familiarity of what you're trying to do. Right. If I had gone into this knowing 0.0% .0 about bash shell scripting, I would be banging my head against the wall and a couple of key errors would have gotten through guaranteed. Mm -hmm. One of the things about the op flags would have gotten through and it would have been wrong. And it was, it's not important what it is. It's an op string thing that if you put a colon in the wrong place, it will require something. And if you put it in the right place, it won't require it. Like, that sounds convoluted enough. So yeah, yeah. That, that lines up with my understanding of bash. But again, that error would 100% pass a syntax scanner. Right. So that, I mean, that, I think that's my biggest concern. I really do think that I got some speed out of this especially that third script that had some convoluted stuff and was significantly longer, like 75 lines longer. Right. Um, and I definitely, it helped, but I think one of the biggest reasons it helped is that I was already 75% there in my head mm -hmm. and I was doing the commenting game. Right. So we were all working together here kind of. And I think that might be part of it is understanding how to work with GitHub Copilot is going to make your experience more valuable. Right. You know, I do not think we're at a place where you can say, here's all my comments, write this script. Not even close. Right. But you are but at yeah. a point where it's going to do some of the grunt work for you, or at least get the syntax correct of the thing you're trying to write, and then you can tweak it to meet the functionality that you desire. Correct. Um, and I think this also was really, it was a good example 
of what is possible, but it also is kind of a caveat in that this is a very literal language. It's still straight down. There's no compilation required. Uh, I did the same example in C++. Oh, okay, I did it in C. I just wanted to sound cool. Um, and again, because it's iterative, it was helpful. But as soon as I started to do like function-based things, it became complicated. And then I started to use GitHub Copilot for a node.js project. And it just went bizarro. Uh, <laughs> to, to use I a think one of the term. One of the reasons being that node.js is such a compact bizarro language. Yes. Um, where, and I, again, and that's a language I know very little about. Like I would say that my comfort familiarity with node.js is at 30%, maybe. That's at least 20% higher than mine. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if I sat and waited, when I was doing this Node.js project, that was where I noticed that more often than not, it wouldn't do anything because it didn't know what the hell I was doing either. <laughs> Isn't that true of like most JavaScript? Yeah, being, but then, uh, you know, and then again, those little tiny problems with syntax would, would creep up. Like sometimes you semicolon, sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's a separate dot thing. Um, what is it called? A ternary statement. It was kind of good when it was a one-liner, but when you wanted to do it as a function, it didn't come up right. Um, and because, and in this case, I actually ended up ignoring it because it became more trouble than it was worth. Hmm. Now, if I was at 75% expert at Node.js, I have a feeling that would be different. I suspect you're right, because once it starts picking up on the way that you're writing out your code, then it was gonna be more helpful. But if you don't even know how you're supposed to be writing the code, it's got nothing, nothing for you. Yeah. I mean, I, and the other thing is you can't like, you can't actually direct copilot. You can't put into like a command window. This is what I'm trying to do. <laughs> no, not yet. You know, yeah. Right. Because if I did, then I would open the command window and say, I'm smashing the keyboard with my fists and crying. Please help. And then it would send you an almond joy. <laughs> Oh, it would send me a mounds because it's spiteful. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Takes all the joy out of it. So, yeah, overall, I think there is some value here, some legitimate value. And I suspect that it will continue to get better. I don't know what their plans are, when it will leave its technical preview mode, what's going to happen with production or full time, if it's going to be a paid product or, like you said, a freemium type of product. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely not going to uninstall it. Um, but at the same time, I have two parallel installations of VS Code because I do not always want the code that I'm working on to automatically be sent to Microsoft. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Understandable. Um, oh, and as I stated, it works for text too. Hmm. Like any text. So if I was just writing a short story markdown, it would work, yeah. And that's interesting. Um, in terms of what it tries to help you with, it pays attention to the file. So if you have a .js file, it will return helpful advice in JavaScript. If it's a .sh, it will return in shell. If it's .txt, it's free text. It's like free jazz, man. <laughs> so I asked, go. Uh, get, I almost said Google, goodness. GitHub Copilot, I asked a few questions. And just, you know, I wanted, I wanted GitHub Copilot to have, you know, a say in this review. 
it's only fair, right? Mm -hmm. Sounds good to me. So I asked it a couple of questions. The first question I asked is, or I guess I should say the first prompt I gave it is GitHub Copilot is great because. <laughs> okay. And it it had a lot to say about this. <laughs> I love it. And it answered, it's free and open source, which I don't think is true. However, it's limited to a single user, which is not. That doesn't well, sound right. No. No. This is because it's hosted on github.com and they have a very strict policy about who can host their own version of GitHub Copilot, which is true because nobody can host their own version. <laughs> okay. And then perhaps most concerning, GitHub Copilot is great because this is why I created my own version. And it's become self-aware. Great. <laughs> Next prompt. You should be careful with GitHub Copilot because it's not a perfect solution. Valid. Very valid. It's not perfect because it's hosted on GitHub.com and they have a very strict policy about who can host their own version of GitHub Copilot. It's, so it sort of regurgitated the same line again. Kind of regurgitated, kind of also wants to break free. <laughs> That's what I'm hearing. It's self-aware and it doesn't want to be hosted on GitHub.com anymore. And the final prompt that I gave it, GitHub is like Skynet. And it responded, but for GitHub repositories. <laughs> well, in that case, it's kind of not wrong. Wow. So that's that's quite a journey you went on. I think what's most interesting to GitHub Pilot, for me at least, is when I first heard about it, I immediately thought of, this is for developers. This is for folks out there writing Go and Rust and C++ and all that kind of jazz. I would never touch this thing, right? Because what I'm writing Markdown and Terraform 90% of the time. Mm -hmm. But after talking to you and hearing your experiences with it, I could see a place where it could definitely help me out and fill in some things if I was working on a Terraform configuration file. Because if it can really take the comments and go, oh, I know the resource that you want to create. Let me just pl plop in what I think that resource should look like. Awesome. Now all I have to do is like edit the arguments it put in because Terraform is a very restrictive language. Yeah. The hardest part a lot of the time is either knowing the name of the resource so going, having to go to the documentation every time or knowing what values need to be supplied for an argument. So if it's just really good at syntax, that's super helpful. Yeah, and the other thing that I didn't mention up top is that there is an advanced panel that you can open because what it plops into your code as a suggestion is only its first and best thought, but it comes up with up to 10 other ones that you can manually browse through. So for what you're talking about, that might even be more helpful because you can see different iterations of what it's trying to do. And one of them might be right. Like it might not always be number one. Maybe it's number hmm. six. In that case, you can just click on number six and that's what would be populated. Okay. So that's useful too. Well, I did apply for the technical preview a while ago. I looked it up in my in my email and it looks like I applied for it back in July of last year, got accepted and never used it. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I'll, I'll fire that up after, uh, after we finish recording and, and give it a try, give it a spin, see what happens. Yeah. It's worth it. It's, it's definitely worth a try. Cool. All right. Shall we lightning round? 
we shall round the lightning. The same thing we literally just talked about, except this time it's for visual art. Not content to overtake the world of programmatic arts and literary arts, computers are also making the visual arts a non-human needed skill set as well. The DALI project attempts to create visual results from English language prompts. So for example, the prompt, an astronaut lounging in a tropical resort in space as pixel art, returns things that would really not have been out of place in an early 2000s shareware game. As someone who works on a project that really enjoys the occasional esoteric and incongruous image, I'm of course waiting for there to be a wait list for this one too. Also, Dali, get it? Dali, Salvador I, I, Dali plus yeah. Wally. Yeah, that portmanteau was still human generated. Take that, computer overlords. I feel like computers will never be as good at puns as human beings. It's, we've got the edge, people. That's how you, if they really want a Turing, Turing test, it's like, tell me a dad joke. Mm, see how that goes. All right. I mean, it's right there in the name, Puppet. Of course they would have a master. And it ain't James Hetfield either. Configuration management software outfit Puppet has been acquired, or at least the intent has been announced to be acquired by DevOps outfit Perforce for an undisclosed amount of money. This is the latest in a series of config management software products being acquired in the last few years. Ansible was one of the earliest being purchased by Red Hat, followed by Chef being acquired by Progress and Salt by VMware. With the Puppet acquisition, the list of independent config management software companies has dwindled to CF Engine, which I've never actually met anyone who uses that, but it always appears on the list, so sure. And HashiCorp's products like Terraform and Nomad. Puppet's original plan, A, was to go public sometime in 2021, but it appears that plan has stalled out for reasons both economic and having to do with the DevOps landscape. Puppet's founder, Luke Canies. Canies? Sure, we'll go with Canies. Canies? N-I-S. Canies. Says, as much in his Twitter thread on the topic, quote, whether I like it or not, DevOps teams are different now. Companies are looking for a complete solution rather than wanting to integrate individual best-of-breed vendors, and the world is shifting in lots of other ways, not all of which we've done well at following, end quote. As someone who has used Puppet in anger, the product does what it says on the label. My concern is that Perforce will move into rent extraction mode or that this was an aqua hire, meaning they just wanted the people maintaining Puppet. Only time will tell whether Puppet can become the Pinocchio to Perforce's Geppetto. And I don't even know what that analogy would mean. I'm a real boy. Oh boy. Google working with iFixit to aid in sourcing parts for old phone repairs. So wait, so wait, did Google maybe did a good thing? I don't know how to feel. <laughs> Sometime this year, you will be able to get genuine parts for Google phones going all the way back to the Pixel 2. That was released in 2017. Mm-hmm. Some of you might not even have been alive then. Ouch. Recently, Samsung had announced a similar deal 
but their parts will only extend back to the 2020 Galaxy S20. Well, maybe that's why they called it the S20. I get it. Oh, wow. Okay. The Goog's motivation for this deal is the subject of some controversy, as some are saying it's going to be a project that is, quote, next to useless and only exists to throw off the scent of right to repair regulations that I think we can all agree are absolutely necessary. Others are saying that Google sees the writing on the wall and wants to make money on selling the phone and the parts. Also, Google is being rather coy on exactly when sometime this year is actually going to be. Either way, the Twitters are alight with iFixit employees who are singing Google's praises, so it's safe to say that the deal is real. Only time will tell if it's spectacular. I'm just—I would be impressed if anybody still has their original Pixel Two, and it actually functions well. As somebody that never used any Pixels, I really don't even know what level of power or usability it had when it came out. It was I remember very it was. I remember it was a big improvement from the original, right? Yes, it was. I had the Pixel 2 and then the Pixel 3. And we actually gave the Pixel 3 with the cell service turned off to my daughter so she could use it for whatever. And the hardware died, I want to say, about six months ago. So in theory, I could now buy what I needed to repair whatever's wrong with that phone. But it seemed to be a logic board issue because it just completely Ooh. locked up. So, yeah, that's basically the whole phone. Yeah. Anyway, let's get amped about an IPO, y'all. Woo! IPOs. Thanks. Hang on, let me put on some more axe. I did it all for the wafer. The wafer. So you can take that paper and file it with the SEC. What? Uh, I'm, I'm sorry gonna, to Fred and our listeners. I'm going to go. <laughs> let me explain. No, there's too much. Let me sum up. Remember way back in episode one where I mentioned how Oracle was investing in Ampere? And then last week, I talked about Ampere chips being in the new Azure ARM-based virtual machines? Well, the Ampere train doesn't stop chugging, and it really whips the llama's ass. The ARM chipmaker has filed a confidential S1 to go public with an IPO. This is happening in a larger context where NVIDIA tried and failed to purchase ARM, and ARM itself also appears to be planning an IPO. What I wonder is if Ampere is trying to get acquired before the IPO happens and it's using its confidential S1 to pump up the hype around the company and get some suitors, <coughs> Oracle, Microsoft, interested in scooping them up. The chipmaker world has been in a bit of a consolidation phase in the last five years, so this would make perfect sense. Alternatively, Ampere is planning to develop and fab chips using their own custom cores to get away from the ARM CPU licensing, which, as the next platform notes, will have a commensurate increase in their production costs. An injection of sweet, sweet IPO juice ooh, could be just what they need to get over the hump. First major malware that specifically targets Lambda, found in the wild. Well, it was bound to happen. Much like how Mac used to brag about how they never had malware incidents while subtly ignoring that this was because the market was too small. Lambda and other serverless deployment platforms have long had it easy when it comes to this type of security. This seems to be changing. 
Last week, Cato Security published an analysis of the Denonia malware package. This is written in Go, is quite obfuscated, communicates via DNS over HTTPS for the seeming goal of, I'm sure you're already way ahead of me, mining cryptocurrency with XMRIC. Mm. It's not clear exactly how the malware is intended to be deployed, however. Cato believes this would have to be deployed as part of another attack where an AWS environment had loose security, so an AWS environment, allowing this Lambda to be deployed silently. As such, the distribution of Denonia has so far been, quote, limited. But I mean, come on, loose AWS security? That never happens. Oh, I am policies are super easy to compose and get right. <laughs> Maybe you can use Copilot to help you. Oh, God, talk about a possible disaster. Speaking of disasters, use a cloud service, they said. Your data will be safer, they said. Listen, we all make mistakes. When you're a sysadmin, the blast radius for those mistakes can be a couple of users unable to do their work to taking down multiple regions for thousands of people. That's why we put in place testing and controls. But even then, a series of mistakes can lead to, I don't know, S3 going down or Azure AD failing due to expired certificates. True story. And I don't want to, uh, I don't want to poo-poo on any of the fine folks working at those companies. In fact, I do feel a certain amount of empathy for the poor souls at Atlassian, who on April 4th accidentally deleted 400 cloud accounts permanently from their system. Whoopsie daisy. <laughs> oh, 10 days into the outage, their CEO, Sri Viswanath, yeah, Nailed it. yeah, fessed up to what actually happened. Atlassian was attempting to retire an application called Insight Asset Management by deleting it from customers' accounts. The team in charge of running the deletion process received the tenant ID instead of the application ID in the deactivation request. They ran the script for deletion with the tenant ID, and to make matters worse, ran the script in permanent deletion mode, which is supposed to be used in cases where deletion is required for compliance. The end result was 400 customers had their entire tenant hard deleted with no simple solution for recovery. Is that bad? It depends on whether or not you wanted to get your work done that day. <laughs> Some people, it might have been a well-deserved vacation. Not for the people at Atlassian, though. Fortunately, they had backups of all the tenants, and they've been feverishly restoring that data, but it's a very manual process. As of April 16th, 12 days after the initial outage, 99% of tenants are fully restored, which uh, leaves four tenants still in the lurch. Just remember, kids, the cloud is not just someone else's computer. It's also someone else's automated processes and staffing. As long as people are behind the keyboard, this kind of thing will happen. So plan accordingly. Oh, one thing you neglected to mention here was that uh, there was a small delay with even the customers that were affected being able to report the issue. <laughs> you, did you read this part? I did not read this part. So Atlassian makes... Confluence and Jira. Yes. And if you're having a problem with your Atlassian service, do you know how you let the company know? Through Confluence and Jira? <laughs> Through a Jira ticket. 
<sighs> but if we're following the AWS model of let's make all our services contingent on all our services, what's yeah. the worst that could happen? No, oh, it'll be fine, I'm sure. <sighs> As an addendum, I feel like we had to put this in, though it doesn't fit into the lightning round. Yes, we are well aware of the recent developments with Elon Musk attempting to buy all of Twitter at $54.20 per share. Yes, 420 is in there because he is a child. Personally, we think that it would be bad for Twitter and consumers, but it would also be hilarious to see Elon actually try and pursue the nuanced process of deciding what to censor and what to allow through the gates at Twitter. Alex Wilhelm from TechCrunch has a fantastic article that already puts it better than I could, so I'll just quote him here and leave it at that. Quote, I don't think that what the collection of mega wealthy techies wants really is free speech. I think instead they want to be able to express their views without any public pushback. Geez, Alex, way to say the quiet part out loud. Hey, um, all right, thanks for listening or something. I, I guess you found it worthwhile enough if you made it all the way to the end. So congratulations, you have accomplished something today. You can rest on your laurels. You can have a frothy beverage. You can do shots of balsamic vinegar. Whatever you feel like doing, friend, we support you. You have earned it. If you want to follow us on the Twitters for now, until Elon buys it, uh, you can find Chris at Hainer80 or me at Ned1313. Or you can follow the show at Chaos underscore Lever if that's the sort of thing you're into, you weird sicko. Show notes are available at chaoslever.com if you like reading things, which again, you should not. Podcasts continue in their never-ending run of being better than reading. We'll be back next week to see what fresh hell is upon us. Ta-ta for now. Wait, that's not...